Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you as we start a new week here in the summer. Yeah, it's officially summer. It's June here on Raider Nation Radio. 9.20 a.m. and we got 90-plus days or so to the first Raider game on Monday Night Football as the Silver and Black host the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football. So that's what we're doing, everybody. It's a countdown. It's summertime. We're going to enjoy the summer, and then we go all in. All in on the Raiders, and we don't come up for air till after January and hopefully after that. It'll be one of the longest runs I've ever done on the radio. Six days a week coming up off the summer, and it's all about the Raiders and everything silver and black. Unfortunately, here in Vegas, we get to mix in the Golden Knights. How great have the Golden Knights been? They've won their last two games with Raiders flair. Max Crosby lighting up the siren and getting it going, and Derek Carr when I was at the game on Friday night. We'll go back and review all of that with, along with uh, P.T., a proud partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. And they've been having a great time as they've been hosting a lot of parties at P.T.'s, all their different locations around P.T.'s Taverns, best place for happy hour in town. Great to meet up with your friends and watch VGK every night of the week, but they're playing this week on Tuesday and Thursday back here at the Fortress. So that's exciting. This is really important when you do what I do for a living, hosting sports radio. You got to have a local flair. We got to have things cranking locally. UNLV basketball with Kevin Kruger's got to get turned around. He's the guy to do it. We got the Golden Knights. This is a Stanley Cup team. It really is. If they don't win the Stanley Cup, I think it's a disappointment. They're tied 2-2 in the series. And then the Raiders, we have an NFL team in town, which is enormous, along with the Aviators. Bobby reminds me I'm kicked off the air tomorrow for Aviators, so get through to me today, 702-365-9200. There are an array of topics we want to talk about today. You're available to talk about all of them, including that money grab trash Floyd Mayweather Logan Floyd fight, which we'll get into later on on the show, with Kevin Ioli, the great insider, boxing writer, good friend of the show, and Golden Knight season ticket holder. So Kevin will join us a little bit later on. It was a bizarre weekend in sports. It really was. COVID became in the news as John Rahm had a withdrawal from the memorial right in front of Jack Nicholas in Dublin, Ohio. He lost out on $1.6 million and people started asking. He's a professional athlete. Why wasn't he vaccinated? Was he vaccinated? How could he be positive? COVID has not gone away, even though we're opened up at 100% capacity here in Vegas COVID is still a real issue, and it's a big issue in sports. We just saw it on the PGA Tour. And then the rest of the weekend was kind of weird. The soccer game last night was bizarre between USA and Mexico, and we end up winning that game 3-2, which was fantastic. I bought my Gold Cup tickets today. I don't know if you got a chance if you're a PSL holder, but an opportunity to buy tickets to a big soccer game coming here to Vegas in August, so I pulled the trigger on three today. I reminded my wife, we can't buy tickets to everything because then this two-hour radio show is going to have to be an eight-hour radio show with about six more sponsors. But how do you pass on buying tickets to great events? 
that are going to be year one at Allegiant Stadium. I'm going to try to go to as many as possible. And then our good friends at Virgin Hotels is having their real grand opening. They had a soft opening, which I was a part of. We hosted the first ever sports talk show from Virgin Hotels. And then this weekend, Christina Aguilera, Flo Rider, they're going to open up the joint, which is the old joint, their new theater there. And we're giving away two tickets today and on Wednesday for the grand opening of Virgin Hotels. So Richard Branson will be there. And it's going to be a big deal. I'm checking in on Thursday. I'm staying there three nights. And that's where you can find me with Boz and our friends down at Virgin Hotels. Really want that project and property to work because my DNA and roots in Vegas go through the old hard rock. And that is the dirt of the old hard rock. So busy week ahead as we begin. I'm going to lead with Julio Jones. And am I disappointed that the Raiders didn't get Julio Jones? Yeah, I am. But I stay in my lane because the Raiders are making decisions that have to do with draft picks and money. And that's their decision. Mike Mayock, John Gruden on Julio Jones. But the Titans pulled the trigger for a second round and fourth round pick. And they're going to absorb, I think, the majority of his $15 million contract. Probably get him to renegotiate and fix that contract. But a team in the AFC, a team that is right there with the Raiders and arguably better. I don't know how you could say they're not better than the Raiders. They played in the AFC championship game just a few short years ago and had Patrick Mahomes dead to rights in Kansas City. So this team could have won a Super Bowl. Now they get Julio Jones, and they're pretty loaded. And that offense is led by Derrick Henry. So I want to talk about this from a Raider perspective, if we can, today. Raider Nation, I know you concentrate mostly on the AFC West. You keep an eye on Denver, Kansas City, and the Chargers. But Tennessee plays in this division, and this could be the difference between Tennessee making the playoffs or the Raiders not. I'm a believer that Julio Jones will win a game or two for Tennessee. How is he going to do that? Well, he's going to catch a game-winning touchdown, or he's going to lead the team on a drive that gives them the lead when they close out a game. I think he's a great player. And the fact that he chose Tennessee was a good fit for them. We got this one right, too. Not over the last month or two, but about a week ago here, a little longer, I told you on this broadcast that I thought he would choose Tennessee because of the geographic location, which he's familiar with. It's a really short commute from Atlanta with his family and his real estate and his legacy to go play in Nashville. He also gets to play with former Alabama teammate Derrick Henry, which I thought would have given the Raiders a bit of an advantage because the Raiders have some Alabama guys. In Josh Jacobs, Alex Leatherwood. You look at the Alabama connection there, I thought that could help the Raiders. But as we sit now, Tennessee got better. And I think this move, in my opinion, makes them better than the Indianapolis Colts in that division. It's going to come down to those two teams in that division. And I think Julio Jones is going to make a difference. So let me throw it out to the Raider Nation as we kick off Monday. And again, we expect to hear from you on this show. Okay, we don't have to have more callers, less callers. We have the best callers, the longest ones who have been with me. I'd really like to hear you sound off like you got a pair. This is something we spent two weeks on, talking about the potential of Julio Jones maybe to Las Vegas. He chose the Titans. Possibly the Raiders didn't want him, and that's fine. But from a fan perspective, you should have an opinion on this. Do you think that this would have helped the Raiders, or are you disappointed And to me, it's the commitment that the Raiders have for their young players. They are committed for Henry Ruggs III to have a big year. They're committed to Brian Edwards. 
They want to get Hunter Renfro more touches. Darren Waller gets the touches as a wide receiver. Darren Waller puts up receiving numbers like Julio Jones did in his prime. The Raiders have Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake, and two guys who can catch the ball out of the backfield. So I think uh, the ability for the Raiders to pass on Julio Jones says to me that they're comfortable with the offense, at least with the skill position players and who they added and the other uh, receivers that they added to this team, which I think the Raiders are pretty loaded up at the wide receiver position now as we take a look. The addition of John Brown and Willie Sneed, who they're very high on, and the Raiders like Zay Jones to go along with Ruggs, Renfro, and Edwards. So the team's got receivers. But I thought Julio Jones would have been a good pickup for the Raiders because they lost Nelson Aguilar. And I think after losing Nelson Aguilar, Julio Jones would have came in and been the 1-1-A to Darren Waller. And that could have been one of the best receiving cores in all of football if they pulled the trigger. They didn't do it. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. I open up the phones to you and ask if you like the deal to pass on Julio Jones or you wish the Raiders would get him. 702-365-9200. Next hour in the show, I'll share with you Friday. I was the MC of the draft luncheon at the stadium. In the end zone, on the field, great event. Robert Gallery, Stanford Route, Kirk Morrison, Raymond Chester, Met a lot of good people, and I want to do a deep dive on Robert Gallery's return to the Raiders. It's a big story. Robert's a really cool guy. A Raider fan should all welcome him with open arms. He's a part of this team. Former Raider quarterback Matt McGloin will join me at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk about his time with the Raiders, what he loved about his time being the quarterback of the Raiders, with the playoff opportunity when Carr went down, We'll talk about that and what he's doing with his career. And then we're scheduled to be joined by a Titan insider who will jump on a little bit later on because I'm working on that storyline, Teron Davenport, and how this fit is for Tennessee in the AFC. As Julio has hit the ground, and he is there, and he is now officially a Tennessee Titan. So that's a lot to give you as we open up the show. Start dialing now. I want to get to the Knights. I want to hear from you. 702-365-9200. Remember, we're not a podcast. I do two podcasts, one for the Raiders and one on my own. This is a live caller-driven show where fans are supposed to sound out, uh, off and have a voice in Vegas, an emerging professional sports town. It's no longer 10 years ago in Vegas. Okay, goofy radio, goofy topics, goofy crap. This is Raiders and Golden Knights. That's what I do. If any other team does something great, we'll cover it. But my show is based on the Raiders and the Golden Knights, the two pro teams in this town. We want to hear from pro fans who are ready to roll. Let's get to VGK. I was in the building on Thursday night. Derek Carr got the crowd going with our buddy Mark Chinook, and they came out ready to play. This was an important game on Friday. The series was on the brink. Vegas came back with Pacioretty, and he scored the game winner. Still on the left wall, looks to the point, shot, tipped in! Holding, let her rip, and went off the man's side of the goal. Vegas strikes again and takes the lead. 3-2, Golden Knights, 4.33 to go. Pacioretty was the man in front. That was a big goal. Dan Duva on the call. Uh, Pacioretty being back has really helped VGK now to have a sniper, a proven goal scorer, a leader on this team. It's night and day now having Pacioretty back, and they took that momentum into Sunday where Jonathan Marcheseau 
got the team tied. They trailed early one nothing. A little bit of energy was taken out of the building. But Marcisol first goal on what would be a big day. Marcisol again, left corner, up top. Petrangelo waits to the left. Marcisol scores. Power play goal. Ripped it home from the left circle. Three to one, Golden Knights. Eight thirty-two to go in the second. All right, that was the big goal, his second goal on the power play to give him a 3-1 lead. And that was about it at that point in time. I thought that Colorado was very impatient. They couldn't get anything going. The game plan by Peter DeBoer and the Golden Knights has been fantastic. And now we got a couple of goal scorers who are going. We mentioned Pacioretty, and here's Marcheseau with the hat trick. Smith and Marcheseau buzzing in front. Marcheseau, hat trick. Golden Knights take a three-goal lead. Smith set it up across the crease. Marcheseau delivers a playoff hat trick. And the Golden Knights on top of the abs. Four to one in game four. Bedlam on the call right there on the Vegas Golden Knights, our sister station. Here's the final call as Vegas down 0-2 in the series, dug out of a massive hole, and now they're right back in it. Colorado gets it in. Hague banks it behind his own net with three, with two, with one. It's over. Vegas five, Colorado one. The Knights put their stamp on the second round. Marcia hat trick, and the Knights win both on home ice to tie the series at two and two. Dan Duve on the call. If you went to either one of the games, give me a call. Tell me about the atmosphere, how much fun you had making history, being at an event in Vegas in the playoffs with 100% capacity. What a difference it makes in the Fortress when it's 100%. I went to the last regular season game at 50%, now going to playoff games at 100%. You could see the energy, feel the energy in the building, and we're really lucky to have this team in town playing this well which every time they win, and if they win a series, we get another opportunity for two weeks. Remember, this is critical. Vegas in game two hit the crossbar or the pipe four times. If they win that game, game two, they're up three games to one, and I think the series is over. Got to win a game in Denver, and it's not automatic. And Denver's going to be humming tomorrow night because they're going to want to help their team get back into the series there. It's not the home ice that we have in Vegas, but I'm proud. I'm excited. If you're a Vegas Golden Knight fan, give us a call. Let's hear from you on what this means to the city, and we'll have another game. Game six guaranteed to be here Thursday night, 702-365-9200. For Peter DeBoer, give him credit. He got the team up ready to play, and he understands that if they don't execute their game plan, Colorado can really lean on them. They're a highly skilled team, and, and like I've said before, if we're not uh, detailed and we don't execute, they have the ability to swamp us like they did in game one and, and like they did in the Tahoe game and like they've done, you know, at other points. Yeah, the, the game plan is very important here. You got to play with the lead. You got to score early. The game I went to, and I think the same thing could be said yesterday on Sunday, is all Colorado wants to do is come out and they want to survive the first 10 minutes because Vegas comes out at home just flying. And Colorado wants to survive it. Vegas outscores them 10 to 3, 12 to 4, whatever it is. And then Colorado stabilizes and gets into their game. DeBoer talked about the Marciso line, which is the most talked about line right now in the NHL. They always play well. They always play hard. They're always defensively responsible. But the puck wasn't going in at different points for them. And, you know, they've stuck with it and they've gotten hot at the right time. And uh, they look unstoppable right now. 
They do. Uh, this is the line that's got to keep going. You know, Vegas from time to time has some snipers, some goal scorers that disappear for four or five games. So now Pacioretty and Marcheseau are playing well. Now you got to get Stone going. Wild Bill's got to get going. Riley Smith, Tuck, who's skating really fast. Tuck needs a couple of goals. It's a better team, I think, than Denver. I really believe it. But DeBoer knows this series just started off again. It's best of three. Feels good, but we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, obviously, it's it's only two wins, and, and we have uh, too much respect for Colorado and their game and what they're they're able to do and some of their players. So uh, we, we know there's still a lot of hill to climb. So Vegas fans, let's hear from you today. Let's pretend that this city is up every day. There are days where I drive around this town and there's no hockey talk on none of the stations. I'm talking about the competitors. This town's got to do a better job. We're in the NHL playoffs. This city's got to be great. This city's got to be over the top when we're deep into the playoffs. NFL, whatever it is. It's hockey time now. VGK is representing this city. Let's get some hockey fans going here. We do a lot of hockey on this show, and sometimes I'm wondering who the hell's listening. This is the playoffs with the Golden Knights, Game 5 in Denver. Sound off like you got a pair. Let's keep rolling. And then finally in the monologue, I want to mention what happened with the Floyd Mayweather fight with Logan Paul. My sons ended up streaming it. No, I did not pay for the stream. I'll leave it at that. But my sons ended up streaming it, and I was on the air last night on satellite radio, and I was able to kind of pop my head in and out and watch. What a bad moment for boxing. There are now people on the air who claim it was entertaining. It wasn't entertaining. It was garbage. They threw no punches, barely a few connected. Logan Paul stayed through the eighth round because, you know, he's big and strong, and Floyd couldn't knock him out again. Floyd pulled off another bank heist. Floyd, another robbery of epic proportions. And I got to give Floyd credit for it. This is what he does. Floyd is a defensive fighter who doesn't get hit. He continues to go out and throw jabs and run away from any action. And what he does is he just waits and waits and waits for the fight to end. You know, I've seen many of Floyd's fights ringside, and they all have one thing in common, or a couple. You all walk into a Floyd Mayweather fight so excited to be in the building, the MTM Grand, for what is historic. A fighter who's undefeated looking to keep his streak alive. I sit down and I'm always hoping for a great fight. And what happens is it's a lackluster event. Floyd doesn't entertain. He doesn't knock anybody out. He's just defensive when he gets up big in rounds. He just backs off and holds on to a unanimous decision. And he did that against a YouTube fighter, Logan Paul. So... The reason why I'm bothered by this, a lot of people at JT, what do you care? Forget about it. No, I'm bothered by this because I can see this trend and what's going to happen here. Showtime doesn't get very good ratings in boxing, and they're competing against The Zone, which is a streaming company, and I don't think they do a great job either. I'm a top-ranked fan with Bob Arum. I've always been a top-ranked guy. I've always been an HBO guy with Jim Lampley. So they put this fight on. They put on a pretty good undercard card, a real fight. But what I think is going to happen now going forward with boxing, in order for boxing to get a younger demographic, these YouTubers, kids my son's age, is they're going to have to put one of these gimmicks on the event, which makes the event feel very much WWE, very much wrestling, very much pretend, very much showmanship. And that's fine for wrestling fans who like wrestling. I'm not one of them. But for boxing, where I believe I'm a purist and I love the sport, 
I don't want it to be tainted with any of this YouTube crap. And they're putting it on real boxing cards now. And I think Showtime's going to look around at the pay-per-view and say, you know, we're on to something. We can put more of these YouTube fighters on these cards, and we can get more people to watch, and then all it's going to do is soil the great tradition of boxing. I could be wrong. I'm wrong all the time. I'm wrong all the time. I don't get paid to be right. I get paid to have opinions. But I'd like to know what your opinion was on that fight. Some people, some of my friends bought it because their kids were interested. So if a mom or dad was able to sit down with their daughter or son and watch the fight because Logan Paul's a real big YouTuber with a lot of followers, I'm not going to knock family entertainment if they sat around. But the fact is it looked like, it smelled like, it felt like a fight, and it wasn't a good fight. So you got knuckleheads coming on the radio nationally today saying it wasn't a bad fight because they don't know anything about boxing. It was a mockery. It was a joke. It was a money grab. And I really think boxing is so important to the lifeblood of Vegas, right? We have the Wilder Fury fight coming. We're competing in Vegas with Jerry Jones in Dallas, and we're Dubai where they're trying to put these fights on internationally. So are we going to have to see this gimmick to make boxing work? And Floyd Mayweather is the most decorated and successful athlete in the history of the city where I live in, in Vegas. And I got to tip my cap to Floyd. Floyd made easy money again because of the dumbing down of America in sports. We are getting so silly and so stupid in sports because some of the younger people don't have an attention span. We can't sit and put our phones away at a baseball game. We got more people, not in Vegas, but don't want to go to NFL games because they want to look at their fantasy. They want to look at their fantasy roster and they don't have a team anymore. And we're dumbing down sports so much that people actually buy into this crap with YouTube fighters and Floyd Mayweather. And Floyd laughed in the post-game press conference last night. He basically admitted to bank robbery. He pulled off another robbery because a lot of people bought into it. If you think it's no big deal, great. If you think it's a big deal and it's going to soil boxing, let me know, 702-365-9200 as we open up the show. And we get you going on a Monday, and we got a big week lined up for you with a lot of cool content. I'll be over at the Raider facility midweek to host a special show there. Matt McGloin will join us. Kevin Ioli will talk about the Titans coming up. And the return of Robert Gallery inside the Raider Nation and what that means for all Raider fans as they get a chance to welcome someone back to the organization who gave everything he had. No, he wasn't a Hall of Famer. He wasn't a perennial pro bowler. But he was a Raider, and I spent some really good time with him, and I want to share that with you. We're brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. When I'm out on the Strip or a local establishment, I'm noticing a lot of restaurants and bars simply simplifying their drink menus, reverting back to two to three ingredient cocktails, and you can pull that off with Remy Martin. All of their Remy Martin signature cognac drinks are fantastic. My favorite is the original Sidecar with Remy VSOP. Remy Martin, a proud sponsor of Raider Nation Radio. When we come back, former Raider quarterback Matt McGloin will join us. Once a Raider, always a Raider. About his time with the Silver and Black, what he's doing now. Every Monday and Wednesday, we have a former Raider brought to us by the M Resort and Spa, where you can find the Raiders Tavern and Grill. Good to be here on a Monday. Let's hear from someone. Someone with a pulse. Call the show and wake Vegas up on a Monday. 
Okay? Let's move. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, of course I'm ready to assume a bigger role. I mean, last year it was, for me to describe it, it was a start. Uh, and that, that's pretty much the best way I can describe it. It's something to build on, it's a starting point, and we're just going to build from there. And of course, like I said, ready for you know take on a bigger role and help my team in a, in a bigger way. That is Henry Ruggs III, JT, back with you, Raider Nation Radio. As we begin on a Monday, off tomorrow for the Aviators Day Baseball here. That'll happen a few times, not many, a few times this summer. So jump in right now if you want to. Matt McGloin will join us coming up here in a little bit as we're brought to you by the Henderson Hyundai Superstore. Proud partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. Why pay more? The Henderson Hyundai Superstore has the lowest prices in the Valley. Search all of their inventory at HendersonHyundai.com and you can buy online and they'll deliver right to your home or your workplace. Great sports page today. All on the Vegas Golden Knights. Marsha show is on. Ed Graney wrote a great piece. Pressure. Knights applying it in waves and the Avs are feeling it. And then our teammate here, Vinny Bonsignor, wrote a great column on Trayvon Mullen and how the Raiders want him to break through at the age of 23 in his third year playing cornerback for the Silver and Black. We'll get into that content a little bit later on. Thrilled to talk to former Raider quarterback, former great Penn State quarterback. It's been a while, but great to have him on Raider Nation Radio. Matt McGloin joins us. Matt, good to talk to you again. I hope you're well. Hey, what's going on? I appreciate you guys reaching out. Yeah, we're thrilled. You know, the alumni department is amazing here. First off, before we go back to your run with the Raiders, what are you doing now? Because I know you're still trying to play. You were playing back last year, the XFL. How's your health? How's your status? And how much football do you have left? Well, I have no football left. Done, <laughs> done? I'm done, yeah. You know, listen, man, I, I, you, know, I, I, you know, sitting here today, I have absolutely no regrets about my career, about my journey. I've had the opportunity to play with a lot of great players. I've had the opportunity to be coached by some of the best coaches of all time. You know, uh, learned a lot about the game. Um, you know, it, it really, really enjoyed my time playing the game at Penn State, playing for the Raiders. Um, you know, it was nice to be a part of the XFL starting back up, mm-hmm. you know, last year. Um, but, you know, my journey is over, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I couldn't be happier. You know, I'd like to think that I made the most out of my talent and my ability, um, you know. And, and like I said, I, I, I can sit here today and truly be happy about, about my career. That is great, and that's a great place to be in because starting early in your life, Pennsylvania All-State quarterback at West Scranton, and to live the dream and have a great career at Penn State, was was that the moment with your family, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your friends, where you were really groomed for that opportunity and you thought that that could possibly happen playing for the great Nittany Lions? You know, yeah, you know, I didn't know, you know, what, what the future you know, held for me, um, you know, I, I was a three-sport athlete growing up. I played baseball, basketball, and football, you know, my entire life, all the way up, all the way through high school. And, you know, probably around my sophomore year or so, football kind of started to take over for me. I realized that, you know, I think football and playing the quarterback position is something that I would like to do at the next level, at the, at the collegiate level, you know. And as you just mentioned, you know, I was an All-State 
Pennsylvania quarterback. We had a pretty good football team. We were a state-ranked football team. Um, you know, we won a lot of games. You know, I just couldn't pull a major Division One offer. Um, you know, I, I like to think I just kind of got lost in the recruiting process. But fortunately for me, you know, Penn State saw something in me that gave me an opportunity to uh, be a member of the team as a preferred walk-on. I was able to earn a scholarship a year later. And, you know, for me, I, I wanted that opportunity. I wanted to play in front of a large crowd. I wanted to play in a big stadium, in a Big Ten atmosphere. I wanted to play on ABC. I wanted to play on ESPN. You know, that was the mindset. And I was recruited by some smaller schools. And, look, there's nothing wrong with going on the smaller school route. It's great football, a lot of great athletes, um, you know, playing these small schools, small universities. It just wasn't the route that I wanted to go. Um, so I took the opportunity Penn State gave me and, uh, you know, and, and made the most of it. And, again, I, I can't thank, you know, Joe Paterno and Bill O'Brien and Penn State University for, for believing in me and giving me that chance to play, uh, play the game of football. Matt McGloin's our guest. I can't imagine what that pressure must have been like as a walk-on to fight for that scholarship at such a big program. Take us back to your freshman year and what it was like with academics and, you know, being a guy that everybody knew locally as a high school great football player and the pressure you had to prove that you could make that team as a scholarship player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you said it perfectly. You know, for me, obviously, you know, I said – expectations extremely high for myself i don't think anybody else at penn state expected much out of me i feel like for the first few weeks and you know first couple months there half the guys on the team probably didn't even know i was a member of the football team (laughs) you know so for me for me it was all about respect right that's what i wanted to do i wanted to earn the respect of the coaches i wanted to earn the respect of my teammates respect of the strength and conditioning staff so every single day i try to be the same exact person. Listen, and when you play the game of football, when you play the quarterback position, it's consistency. You know, that, that that's one of the most important factors to how successful you're going to be. If you can't do it every single day, if you can't be good every single day, you don't have a chance. And, you know, that's one of the ways early on that I think coaches started to notice me. You know, my teammates started to notice me, and they said, something. you know what, we can count on this guy. He delivers every single day. He works as hard as he possibly could every single day. He's well prepared. Um, you know, and I feel like, you know, once your teammates and your coaches start believing you and things like that, you know, and you believe in yourself as well, I mean, the, the, the confidence just continues to grow and grow. Um, I was surrounded by uh, not just great teammates but great people, you know what I mean, who, who were very supportive. Um, you know, and I think that's why we were able to do some pretty good, pretty good things during uh, my career at Penn State. Former Raider quarterback Mac McGloin joins us. So very similar story from, you know, having to earn that scholarship to not being drafted in the 2013 NFL draft because I remember that draft and I thought you were a highly good, solid quarterback that would have got drafted late in that draft. So what was it like when you got the call from the Raiders and that journey began? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you know, for me, uh, you know, if I were to get drafted at all, my mindset was probably the seventh round or somewhere around there. Um, you know, seventh round came and went. I didn't hear my name called. But, you know, uh, for me, you know, in the conversations I'd had with, you know, some coaches, you know, the goal was to get into a camp and to get signed by somebody. And then once I got my foot in the door, proved that I was capable of playing quarterback at the NFL level, proved that I was able to process the information, um, make the adjustments necessary to uh, – to, you know, to be a part of, of an NFL roster. And, I mean, I mean, when Oakland called me, I flew out there for a workout. I think I remember throwing about 10 passes 
<laughs> you know, and they signed me right after that. And uh, for me, it was just it, it, it instantly it felt like home, you know, and uh, I can't say that about some of the other places that I've played for, um, you know, in the NFL. And again, nothing against those organizations. They're all great organizations, but I never had that same feeling that I had when I was when I was in Oakland. Um, it was just a perfect fit for me to be able to wear the silver and black every single day. Um, so many great people inside that organization. I mean, lifelong friends, you know, um, it, it, it was just, you know, the, the right opportunity for me. Um, and again, for, forever grateful to, you know, Mark Davis, the Oakland Raiders, and, and then that fan base and how supportive, um, you know, they were in, in my four years there. No doubt about it, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I was there with my son Christmas Eve. Derek breaks his right fibula. You come in, and then you get the opportunity the final, the, the following week, the shoulder injury. You were poised there to go on a run. I had John Radio, I remember, locally there. People were ready for you. They were devastated by the car injury, but it was a very good football team, and you prepared all year long in that role if you were called on. Walk me through what happened, what you remember over those two weeks, and especially the injury. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I know I'll never forget, you know, standing on the sidelines and watching, you know, DC get hurt in the Colts game, you know, and, uh, you know, DC and I were good friends, um, you, you know, worked together for, you know, I was his backup and, you know, for three out of my four years there, you know, and instantly once he went down, I just saw the look on his face. I knew, I knew he was injured. I knew he, I knew he, he wasn't getting up and I knew he wasn't going to be able to continue. So, you know, to go out there and, you know, those guys did a great job of kind of embracing me, stepping into that role for that Colts game. Um, you know, we were able to get out of there with that victory. But, yeah, you know, to be honest with you, I thought, you know, we were able to make a run again, um, you know, and uh, it just, I guess it wasn't meant to be, you know. Um, you know, it was really unfortunate. Um, you know, I, I was looking looking forward to getting back out there, you know, um, again. But the team was great. You know, the coaches were great. Everybody was supportive. Again, unfortunately, it just – didn't turn out the way that uh, that I had expected, um, you know. But hey, look, it is it is what it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, you you had a hell of a run, and a lot of people believe in you still, and they believed in you because they knew you understood and you had a grasp of the Raiders' offense, and you were there for a reason, and you should be very proud of your legacy with the silver and black. What are you doing now? You're a young guy. You just said this chapter of football ended with your great education, your leadership, your family. What do you want to do next? Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, you know, we're back home here in, in northeastern Pennsylvania. My wife and I, we, we have a two-year-old son, uh, awesome. you know, which is, it's, it's the greatest thing in the world. You know, he keeps us busy. You know, it, it's so much fun, um, you know, being back home. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work now for SiriusXM and ESPNU and Big Ten Radio, you know, which, which I enjoy doing. I actually just you know, started up a, a small quarterback school here in, in northeastern Pennsylvania. You know, um, mm -hmm. it's great being back out in the field again, throwing the football around and, and teaching, you know, some of these kids here in northeastern Pennsylvania where there's a ton of talent. You know, always good football throughout Pennsylvania. Um, so, but, but like I said, man, you know, love the game of football. And, you know, whether it's being on the field coaching it now a little bit or, or talking about it, talking about Big Ten football, things like that. You know, I hope to continue to have football in my life as I move forward. Matt, you won't believe this stadium and what's going on in Vegas. I'm sure you're going to get out here. The <laughs> alumni department is all about that and connecting guys like you with players that you played with. But 
Uh, I'm hoping that you have a game or something circled to get out here and see the Raiders play in Vegas. It's going to blow you away. I, I, I can't wait to get out there and, uh, you know, see that stadium, see that field, see that atmosphere. You know, to be honest with you, anytime I'm, t- I'm talking about the Raiders, I can't get used to saying Las Vegas. <laughs> I just can't. You know, it's, it's, it's the Oakland Raiders for me, but, but, I, but I'm working on saying Las Vegas. Great, Matt. Good to talk to you. Thanks for making time with us. We really appreciate it. All the best. At- Anytime. Thanks so much. You got it. Matt McGloin. Nice. You know, I get the rundown who we're going to have on every week, what alumni are coming on, and I saw Matt there. And, you know, I remember being up on 95-7 the game in San Francisco hosting my midday show. And the week that Matt was taken over for Derek, we put together a graphic called the McGloin train. It was a locomotive with a picture. I'll try to find it and tweet it out of Matt's name. So I did what I thought I'd do best. I got on the radio. I said, hey, there's no Derek. He's hurt. We're all in with McGloin. And the phones were packed. Everybody was pulling for Matt. I mean, it wasn't Derek Carr who was having an MVP year, but Matt was groomed to be the backup. Uh, That was Connor Cook behind him. And then Matt had a great opportunity to take the team into the playoffs with, uh, I think, some leadership skills, and they could have managed to win. But what happened is he got hurt with the shoulder. Connor Cook came in. He gave it a good shot and they lost to Osweiler in Houston. And that was a great lost opportunity for the Raiders. If Derek didn't get hurt, I really think the Raiders would have went deep into the playoffs. I truly believe that if Derek didn't get hurt against Indianapolis, they would have won the next game against Denver. That would have given him the AFC West. That would have given him a home playoff game. It changed everything. One sack where Derek went down, breaking his leg, really cost the Raiders on an unbelievable opportunity. And I always remind people, Derek led the Raiders to the playoffs. He hasn't played in a playoff game, but he led a team to the playoffs. That was him that year. And too bad he didn't get the opportunity to play. He's still waiting for that opportunity in the postseason. Thanks again to Matt McGloin, brought to you by the M Resort and Spa. Whenever we talk to alumni or the legends come in, it's brought to you by the M Resort and Spa. Great place to go to lunch, go to the pool, get a room, spend a three-day weekend during Raiders season. Coming up next, Teron Davenport will join us from ESPN, NFL Nation. He covers the Titans on the Julio Jones signing. Second down eight, Green Bay showing pressure. Matt in the gun on the near hash mark. Takes a snap. Play fake to Freeman. Ryan wants to throw. Jones the catch. Look 40. out. Julio into Green Bay territory. A stiff arm at the 15, 10, 5. Touchdown Atlanta. A crossing route to Julio Jones for 73 yards. Crossing route to Julio for 73 yards. Will there be more? Well, now he gets an opportunity to do it in Nashville with the Titans. JT, back with you as we continue on. Monday, thanks again to Matt McCloin, who was kind enough to join us. Always good to catch up with the Raider alumni. Now we head out to Nashville where Teron Davenport joins us. He covers the Titans for ESPN NFL Nation. He's also a member of the Pro Football Riders Association. Teron, good to talk to you again. Big blockbuster deal. I think he's a hell of a player. Tell me about the reaction today in Nashville. Yeah, it's absolutely a monster deal. You're 100% right with that. And the reaction in Nashville is that of euphoria. And this city has been, you know, starving for the Titans to get back on the map. And that's what they've done over the last couple of years. And now this trade 
this puts them in, in the national spotlight. So I think it's a really good move. It gives balance to the offense as far as having two guys in the passing game that you really can't double team because that will allow one of the others to, to shine, and then you balance that out with the rushing attack. I think it's really good, and it's a deal that was worth making happen, and, and John Robinson deserves some, some credit for you know being able to make, make it well. Why do you think other teams passed on it? He went for a second-round pick, fourth pick, fourth-round pick. When you look at the compensation of having to pick up his salary, walk me through the economics of this deal and what the Titans are expecting. Yeah, well, it's a $15 million hit that comes along with it. Now, it hasn't been unearthed whether or not the Falcons are absorbing any of that. John Robinson, you know, in the past with the Ryan Tannehill trade, he got the Dolphins to give him $5 million to leave. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some type of kickback as far as salary obligations are concerned. But the Titans, they're very confident that they'll be able to get Julio Jones under the cap, and that's without making any salary uh, cuts, you know, anything like that, but cutting veterans for salary cap purposes. And they're just going to kick the can down down the line a little bit. And they, they could do that with Taylor Lewan, Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry. These are all guys, Roger Saffold. These are all contracts that could be tweaked a little bit in order to open up that cap space. So I don't think it's a big deal for them, especially being as though, you know, Julio Jones has already landed here in Nashville and he's off the plane and, and – you know, through the facility. So that's a, a huge thing for them. And as far as why other teams passed, you know, I'm not so sure other teams passed. They were interested, but I think mm-hmm. all along the Titans were the best fit. It was a place that Julio Jones wanted to go, and this works for, for all parties. So I think that's really what, what the case was. Teron Davenport joins us, ESPN NFL Nation reporter covering the Titans, and a big day big night to get him on the radio so let's let's get into this deal because what i like about it is this team played in the afc championship game a few short years ago in kansas city and had them blown out early and didn't win that could have been a super bowl for them and now they're looking at their window now with derrick henry i thought that they were the front runners a week ago this time because of the way derrick henry an Alabama alumni like julio was recruiting hard so he got the best running back in all of football recruiting one of the great legendary receivers seemed like a good fit. Yeah, it's absolutely a good fit. And it goes back to what I said earlier about balance. And then you also have to look at the play-action passing game. Ryan Tannehill has done an outstanding job with that. And obviously when you have Derrick Henry rushing the football, the defense, you know, you go play action, they're going to they're gonna take a couple of cheat steps up forward, and that's going to open up passing lanes. And that's going to be a really big thing. And that's one of the reasons why A.J. Brown has been able to do what he does. But then you also have Anthony Ferkser. This this passing attack is going to be interesting. You know, you even factor in Josh Reynolds as well. I saw you tweet out Ryan Tannehill had a career-high 33 touchdown passes and fourth-highest quarterback rating in the NFL. Uh, I don't feel like anybody sleeps on him anymore. We've seen a couple of years now of his great athletic ability. He can make any throw. He's got a big arm downfield, and now this is another guy in Julio that I think if he does get the double team, is sophisticated enough to beat the double team, and if he's not doubled, he'll be able to do everything in the short, intermediate, and deep passing game. How much of that deep passing game do you think Julio still has left in him? I think he has a lot of it left in him. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though he'll be 33 by the time kickoff uh, the, the season happens, I think there's still a bunch left in the tank. And he averaged 15.4 yards per reception last year. 
And obviously not all of that was, you know, deep throws, but that still is there in the play-action passing game. That's always going to open it up. I mean, you got guys like Corey Davis and Khalif Raymond catching deep passes. Neither of those guys are, are there, but you figure if those guys could get open off of it, Julio Jones could absolutely do so as well. And, and you can't double, really. You know, you double Julio Jones, that puts A.J. Brown one-on-one against most corners. I think that's advantage Titans or vice versa. So it's a really good thing for just the offense overall. How'd you rate the Titans draft overall? Because I have it uh, really good, and I think the Titans in the AFC right now, you have to have them ranked right behind Buffalo and Kansas City, but that's open for debate. I I think they're a top-four team in the AFC, and they just added a very good player. So what they did was they said, we're close. we got to get a player that can get us over the hump. We don't know what's going to happen against Kansas City or Buffalo or how it's going to play out in seedings, but I think the rest of the AFC that didn't get Julio is looking around saying, wow, he went to the Titans, and we're going to have to go through the Titans now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that they think they have to go through the Titans, but they, they know, you know, the Titans are a team that likes to play physical football, and you add Julio Jones to the pitcher, he's a physical receiver, so it's a perfect match. And as far as Buffalo is concerned, I think, you know, you could give or take a little bit, but, you know, the Titans did beat the Bills last year pretty handily. And I think you also have to look at just that, that, that rushing game. You know, these teams are, are very close as far as, what they like to do and as far as just overall roster. But I think there is an advantage with the rushing attack, and uh, that is something that will work in the Titans' favor if they play it, in my opinion. So you look at overall the big picture, this team definitely, they, they felt that they were right there, and they believe that this is the move that, that puts them where they need to be. Teron Davenport, ESPN NFL Nation. Finally, it seems like what you've been saying this whole time, the culture of this team and Mike Vrabel is physical. The physicality to run it right at you at Henry and to have two big oversized receivers with track records, one a Hall of Famer in Julio Jones. So that's really, when you look at the matchup with Indy, because Indy's got a very good offensive line and some good players, Tennessee feels like they're going to win these battles just out toughing everybody else. They're a tough football team. Yeah, I mean, that's really, uh, there's nothing really much more I could say to that. You yeah. said it all right there. That's the belief. Does this help sell season tickets or everybody's good there? I'm out in Vegas. Every ticket sold for the Raider Nation. What are the tickets like there? Titan fans seem to be a great fan base, and a lot of fans want to travel to Nashville for that whole weekend experience and get out with the music and the entertainment there. This is a big moment for this organization. Once again, you you said it all. What can I add to that? I mean, yeah. I mean, you look yesterday, They uh, soon after the trade, they reminded people uh, on Mm -hmm. social media with a post that season tickets are available. And, you know, uh, it's an expectation that Nissan Stadium is going to be packed. And I think that's a basic one when you have a team like the Titans right now. Big story. Happy we could get you on, Duran. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, for sure. You guys take it easy. Thank you. You take it easy, too. Teron Davenport, ESPN NFL Nation covering the Titans. So two good interviews this hour, Matt McGloin and Teron Davenport. Uh, we went a whole hour on the show. I didn't hear from one Raider fan on Julio Jones. That's pathetic. Raider fans, you got to get behind what I'm doing here. This is a big Raider topic. The Raiders didn't get Julio Jones. Does any Raider fan have a reaction to that? I mean, it's a big topic. It's Julio Jones. Either the Raiders passed and didn't want him, the Raiders thought the deal was too rich, the Raiders thought that they have young talent that they want to develop, or the Raiders don't want to explore 
high-priced trades. And that's a big topic going forward because that's why I thought they moved here. Okay, again, I'm not, I'm not critical of them not getting the player Julio Jones. But what I'm going to say is I'm going to say it until I'm blue in the face. The reason they came to Vegas is to recruit. The reason they came to Vegas is to recruit players who want to play in Las Vegas in a brand new stadium with no state taxes. Now, this deal's unique because Julio's owed $15 million a year, and you've got to give up something for him, and he's an aging player. So, But every person you're going to trade for going forward is probably someone on a second contract, right? Guys who are on a rookie contract, you wait till after their rookie contract's up, and then maybe you sign them. But are the Raiders going to dip their toe into trades and free agency more in Vegas? Because that's why I thought we were here in Vegas to do more deals and convince players to come to Sin City. That's what made sense to me day one. Doesn't have to be Julio Jones. Will it be someone next? Raider Nation Radio brought to you by PTs.